seen through this section of Matthew, verses chapters 8 and 9, we've seen Jesus exercise his ability, his power across what seems like an insurmountable, unsurmountable distance, healing a servant with a word from a centurion that in faith told him, just say the word, Lord, and my servant will be healed. We've seen Jesus exercise his authority even across enemy lines, if you will, showing that he can command a legion of opposing forces, a legion of demons that possessed two men on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, that even them, with them, Jesus could exercise his authority. We've seen he has authority to forgive sins. And he was kind enough to prove it by physically healing that paralytic. Saying if, it, if you believe, if it's so hard for you to believe that I have the power to forgive sins, maybe you'll believe if I say to this man, get up and walk. And he does so. We've seen that Jesus can turn hopeless situations into ones that are full of hope for the future. We've seen him give back the life to a, the ruler's daughter, just age 12, so that she could go on living it. We've seen how he stopped and honored an outcast woman by commending and commending her for putting her faith in him and his power to heal. I don't know about you, but I have enjoyed being reassured of my king's power, his authority, his ability to do whatever it is that he sets out to do. And a part of what he has set out to do is to take his rightful throne as the son of David, the heir to David's throne that he will sit on for a thousand years in his millennial reign. We'll be learning a little bit more about this today. Uh, today, I hope that you will see that Jesus is always the answer. Jesus is always the answer. You probably heard about the Sunday school teacher that was opening up her lesson. And it was going to be a lesson on Noah's Ark. And, and she started by describing uh, different ways that we might be saved from different types of situations. And she was asking the, the children, what do you need in order to be saved from a flood? Um, it's made of wood. It's wet on one side and dry on the other. And the kids in that Sunday school mode, you know, one child raises their hand and says, sure sounds like you're describing a boat, but I guess the answer is Jesus. You know, because Jesus is always the answer in Sunday school questions, right? Well, here we see this morning that Jesus is always the answer. In two distinct experiences, two distinct situations, two distinct people uh, or, or, or uh, types of people that he deals with. Once again, Matthew alternates between those who come to him for healing and those who are, who are brought to him for deliverance from demonic oppression. And in these two different instances, we see once again that Jesus is always the answer. So we pick up in Matthew 9 in verse 27 where we read, 
And as Jesus passed from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, this is probably that house of Peter's mother-in-law in Capernaum, or, or Peter's house who where his mother-in-law also lived, when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-possessed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees unbelievably said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. First thing I want to challenge you here this morning from these instances of Jesus doing his work. Put your faith in Jesus as heir to the ultimate throne. Put your faith in Jesus as heir to the ultimate throne. When these two blind men call out asking for mercy and calling on Jesus as the son of David. There is, is significance to both of these ideas that they're calling out to him as son of David and they're calling out to him for mercy on them specifically with their blindness. The, the title son of David is the expected title of the anointed Messiah that will come and sit on the throne of David and reign forever. You can see in 2 Samuel chapter 7 the promise to David that God made that an heir to his throne would sit on that throne for all of time, forever, from that time forward. And Jesus is that son of David that would sit on that throne. And these blind men were proclaiming their faith in that. Isaiah proclaimed the mercy that the son of David would embody. Where you can read in Isaiah 35 verses 4 through 5, and this is the New Living Translation. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you, and when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The faith of these men was that Jesus is that son of David, the heir to David's throne, and thus able to heal their blindness. What's important to note here is that Jesus didn't heal them based on their righteousness, right? <clears throat> he didn't ask to see their Sunday, their, their synagogue attendance record or their Sunday school pins. He didn't ask, okay, well, are you like the rich young ruler? Can you say that you have uh, all the, the works of the law? You have obeyed these since your youth? I got to check and see if you're worthy of this healing. What's significant about Jesus' work and his, his mercy on these people throughout these chapters is it is always according to their faith. And that's in contrast with, do they deserve it? Have they earned it? Their healing wasn't based on what, whether or not they were worthy or not. None of us are worthy of Jesus' 
amazing touch in our lives. It was based on their faith in him as being worthy of the title, Son of David, worthy of praise and worship. Now, I was uh, listening to <clears throat> an amazing story called Bruchko, uh, listening to it again this weekend. And Bruchko is a missionary to the Motelone Indians, and it's so much more than that. But, but um, as he was trying to translate and find the, the Motelone word for faith, the word that, that he arrived at had to do with, with hanging a hammock. And the Motelones would hang their hammocks like, like way up in the, the rafters of their huge uh, group homes. And, and the term for faith that he arrived at from their language meant to tie into or to suspend yourself from. Imagine looking at, at a tree limb and thinking, I think I can hang this swing from that tree limb. And, and hanging it there and then being like, okay, now am I willing to sit on this swing and swing in it? That kind of defines, do you have faith in that tree limb? And that's the same idea. These men, these blind men, had faith in the fact that Jesus is the promised son of David that would come and heal. And they found that they had tied themselves into the one that could do just that because he is the son of David, the heir to the ultimate throne. And understand that by proclaiming this, and him asking, do you really believe that this is who I am, is what he's asking them. That they were proclaiming to all of these Jewish people around them and these Jewish leaders around them, these Pharisees, I believe that this man is the Messiah. I'm done waiting. I'm done looking. So this indeed was an act, a statement of faith. Catherine the Great was a Russian empress in the 1700s. One of the most powerful monarchs in European history. In, 18, in 1787, Catherine the Great embarked on a journey to what we know of Crimea that they had recently obtained into the Russian Empire. And this was a famous journey that she made. The purpose of her visit was to inspect this newly acquired territory, to foster goodwill among the local population, to demonstrate Russia's control over the region as a part of their empire. And what made this, this visit of Catherine the Great to Crimea amazing and remarkable was her willingness to interact with the peasants of the area. She immersed herself in the lives of the common people. She traveled in a modest, unadorned carriage. She often dined with local peasants and the commoners. She would visit their homes, listening to their concerns, engaging in conversations to better understand their lives. This approach really endeared her to the local population. It was seen as an effort to bridge the gap between the elite ruling class and the common person. And, and, and her actions with this confidence... Of, of, of displaying her, her, her lack of display of her royalty and her position exuded confidence in the fact that she didn't need to do so. 
You contrast this with Louis XVI of France, who around the same time was hiding as a commoner in his own country. He was hiding as a peasant because he had been dethroned by the French Revolution. Once discovered, he was arrested and tried. He was unwelcome in his own former dominion. The fact is, having a title doesn't give a person authority. As we see in this contrast between Catherine the Great and Louis XVI. Jesus has ultimate authority flowing from the ultimate title that he holds, King of Kings. And yet he came and walked among us and in his own description didn't even have a place that he owned that he could lay his head. He walked in the very confidence of his position. And these blind men proclaimed their confidence in the fact that this is the ultimate king. This is the Messiah. I'm done looking. I'm done waiting. What does it mean for you to put your faith in Jesus as the heir to the ultimate throne? Jesus will complete his work as the son of David. Have the same faith that Jesus will come and finish the job. He will reign on his throne. He will complete this work as the son of David. As Isaiah 35 verses 4 through 5 says in the New Living Translation, Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you, and when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. He is still going to come and sit on his throne, and we can look with great hope, with future faith, because Jesus fulfilled his purpose when he walked the earth. Secondly, what does it mean for you to put your faith in Jesus as the ultimate, the heir to the ultimate throne? We can enjoy, say, it is not about us. It's about him. It's all about him. It's always been about him. And one day it will physically be displayed on this earth that it is all about Jesus our motto as a church body reminds us of this. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus and you on his gospel mission. I look forward to, to uh, unpacking that next week which we, when we have a fantastic teaching of Jesus to remind us of this. But moving on, the next instance of Jesus being the answer, we see here that he confronts the kingdom of darkness once again. We read in verse 32 and 33, As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this Seen in Israel. And, we, and we'll see that the Pharisees are basically standing there saying, thanks a lot. But in this, I want to challenge you. Put your faith in Jesus as the answer to others' spiritual darkness. 
It's kind of unique for a physical disability <clears throat> here in the Gospels. As a whole, it's a unique, it's the minority of situations where a physical disability is attributed to demonic oppression. We will see this again in the book of Matthew. But here the problem of demonic influence has caused this man to be unable to speak. And when it describes that, that Jesus in in Casting out this demon, the man starts speaking again. The crowds marvel at this. Jesus' authority over such a lifelong spiritual affliction is clearly surprising to the crowds. And this sort of authority over demons with like nothing that they had seen. And this was also a commentary on the lack of authority, the lack of ability of these Jewish leaders that really described themselves as being closer to God than anybody else for legalistic reasons, for reasons that, that, that they got God's attention because they were really righteous. In reality, they were just self-righteous. The commentator Ladd says, the scribes taught that and nothing happened. Jesus spoke and demons fled. Storms were settled. Dead were raised. Sins forgiven. His authority and in deeds and words was nothing less than the presence of the kingdom of God. And the crowd was noticing it. I want you to notice the differences here in, in these two instances of Jesus being the difference, being the answer. I see a contrast in Jesus' dealings with people like the two blind men and the oppressed, the man oppressed by a demon. Those oppressed by demons aren't asked if they have faith in Jesus. They aren't asked, do you believe that I can do this? We never see that for obvious reasons. They aren't expected to bring themselves to Jesus. This man is brought to him. I think this fact should give us a sense of compassion for those who are caught in the trap of this sinful world, this spiritual darkness that we live in. Should we expect them to wake themselves up? Should we expect them to, to bring themselves to the truth? Those who are blind, caught in the course of this fallen world, spiritually blind, shouldn't be expected to come to the light. They need to have the light brought to them. And they need for the Lord to break through their spiritual darkness in order to see it. Remember, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. And we battle through prayer. To expect a lost sinner who's carried away by this sinful world to live like one who has faith in Christ is like expecting this demon-oppressed person to come to Christ like the leper did or like Jairus did, asking him to heal them. You know, two people could end up in the, in the emergency room for, by very different means. You know, one person, the first person, they might cut their finger or they feel dizzy or they, and they know the ER is where they need to go to get the care that they need. Another person, the last thing they might recall is, is, is revving their, their dirt bike up and saying to their friends, hey, y'all, watch this. 
By the way, if you're ever in Tennessee, that is a signal to run in the opposite direction. <laughs> if, if, if you're in Tennessee and somebody says, hey, y'all, watch this, get out of there. It involves either a can of gasoline or a brick of bottle rockets or something. Something bad is about to happen. So that person, the last thing they remember is revving their dirt bike up and saying, hey, y'all, watch this. They end up in the ER, but they didn't bring themselves there. They wake up there. They're there because a bystander called 911 and the paramedics came, or, or they were thrown in the back of a truck and, and driven there. For both of these people, the ER is the answer, right? The person that takes themselves there because they know where that needs to be and the person that's carried there unconsciously. Like that bystander that knows that the person in the accident needs the emergency medical help, we should know that the lost need Jesus. Whether a person is in a place where God brings them through the doors of a church or if he's bringing them to rock bottom, everyone needs to know Jesus. And that's the only, he is the only person that fits the God-shaped hole in our hearts. And we have to prayerfully know, do I need to step in? How does the Lord want me to be used? Lord, how do you want me to work here? It's not the same way with every person. One family member, you step in and you say, we're going to church. Another family member, you step aside. Because the Lord says, you're going to be enabling them if you help. But even with those that were seeking to be used by the Lord in their life, we need to walk through it with our Savior. Be led by Him as, an, as a relationship step with him. God is still in the business providing new hearts and putting his spirit within people to awaken them. Our job is to put our faith in Jesus as the answer to other people's spiritual darkness. And when we have the opportunity to share about him, if you flip over the other side of your notes there, there's some little tools for sharing Jesus, tools for a conversation. And I've shared all of these before, but I thought they'd be good to, to put them in writing again there for you. One is three questions. You know, it's usually good in, in a conversation to let the other person talk. You know, that usually helps people to feel a little more comfortable. These three questions can be a way to start a conversation that can lead to the fact that Jesus is the answer. And, and you can see him right there. Question number one, where do you think everything came from? Question number two, what do you think is wrong with it? Number three, what do you think is the solution? Maybe if the Lord works in that conversation, that person might be open to you sharing your thoughts on these things. That we were created by God to live in relationship with him. That the problem with all of it is the sin that we brought into this world. And the solution is Jesus. 
his work on the cross and the offer of relationship with him. And if, if you can't go further than just asking them those three questions, you can always throw that fourth question in there to get them thinking, what if you're wrong and you die? Another approach to, to having a, a conversation about Jesus is, and, and Ron Hutchcraft was always good about explaining this, and, and he would describe people in, in grocery store lines, and he would just kind of turn around, any, any sort of line that you're waiting, and he would ask, is there anything that I can pray for you about? And then the second question he would ask is, do you mind if I pray for you now? He said, it, it, it's amazing the work that God can do for people that have never heard someone talk to God as their father. The third uh, kind of conversation starter or explainer is asking the question, do you want to know what the whole Bible teaches in just six statements? And if you can memorize the gospel acronym, each word of this, of this explanation, these six statements start with G-O-S-P-E-L, First, God created us to be with him. That basically explains Genesis 1 through 2. Our sins separate us from God. That's Genesis 3 right there. The whole rest of the Old Testament could be described as sins cannot be paid for by good deeds. First three gospels can be described in the statement, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. E stands for everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And L stands for life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. G-O-S-P-E-L. That comes from Dare to Share's ministry, by the way. So we can't move away from our passage without taking note of the sad response of the Pharisees. It says, but the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Wow. So basically, Jesus is the king of kings, and they're saying, no, he's just an underling of the devil. The Pharisees show more spiritual darkness that's on a whole other level. Notice the Pharisees voice the, the, the polar opposite of the response of the crowd. The crowd marvels that nothing like this has been done in Israel, but the Pharisees panic and go nuclear and assume that Jesus must be in cahoots with the devil. This is foreshadowing of a final rejection of Christ that will be made by the Pharisees soon in this gospel. We should take note of this, this fact then when we see it in the future in Matthew that they had done this a number of times. And eventually Jesus says, enough. And the grace and mercy of God is on display as Jesus continues to try to teach them at this point in Matthew. But the, but the time will come when he will only teach them in parables because of their blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which he will describe as the unforgivable sin. In contrast with the poor beggars that we saw earlier in our passage here this morning, these poor beggars that knew they were blind and they cried for mercy from their Messiah, 
These highly educated, well-read religious leaders refused to accept what they saw with their own eyes. And they decide on a, a new narrative that fit their ideology. This man, he gets his power from Satan himself. Sadly, their self-righteous spiritual blindness kept them from crying out for the mercy that all of us need. And that blind men put into words. Why wasn't it the case that Jesus was proclaiming himself as the king, the rightful heir to his throne, and then said, where's my throne? Why didn't he say, all right, guys, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's dig David's throne out. I don't know if it was like hidden somewhere. I mean, it doesn't have to be the physical throne of David. But why didn't he just say, okay, I'm here. You know, enough people have accepted me. I, I can take care of the temple guards, you know, just with a blast from my hands or something like that. And let's go set up this kingdom. Because there was a great, amazing, merciful, incomprehensibly gracious work that still needed to be done. And it was the sacrifice of Jesus. It was the pouring out of his blood. It was him being hung on a cross by the very people that were supposed to be his missionaries across the world. Him coming unto his own, but his own knowing him not, as the Gospel of John tells him, telling us. But to all who do know him, he gave the right to be called children of God. It was a work that would allow for us to join in this kingdom. I mean, do you ever think about that? If Jesus had taken his throne at that time, we would have been eliminated from being able to be a part of his kingdom. Because it was his cross, his death, his resurrection that opened up the opportunity for us to be a part of his privileged people. It is the basis of the existence of the church because he would be the sacrifice. He would tear the veil in the temple and open up the opportunity for us to come with confidence before the throne of grace to find grace and help in time of need. This would only come not just from him being the king, not just from him being the Messiah, but from him being the sacrifice for us. And in his blood, inaugurating a new covenant, not based on the blood of an animal, but based on the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is what we celebrate here this morning with communion. That only Jesus could spill the blood of the saving lamb.
for us and do it willingly. Only Jesus could have his body broken for us and it be effective for all of us who put faith in him as our Messiah, who cry out to him for mercy. As you take that bread here this morning, during these two songs that we'll sing together, as you take that juice, do it in remembrance. Do it in remembrance of his sacrifice. Do it in remembrance of the fact that that was the king of kings hanging there. That was the king of kings surrendering himself to the will of God the Father. That was the king of kings that decided in eternity past, I'll do the work because I'm the only one that can do it. And because this is how we, the Trinity, will be glorified. And we're just the icing on top. We Gentiles that get to be included in his kingdom. Let's bow our heads. Lord, it is a blessing to us to be brought back to the sacrifice of your son. Jesus, we would not do this as a celebration. We would not do this with such gratefulness and boldly if you had not invited us to do so. And Lord, receiving Christ as our Savior, when we take this bread and this juice and the cry in our mind <clears throat> says, you are not worthy of this. Lord, let us say, Amen. I am not. But Jesus is worthy of my faith. Jesus is worthy of his throne. Jesus is worthy of exaltation. Jesus is worthy of being obeyed in remembering him. Lord, the simple actions that we take in receiving relationship with you, in, in being your adopted children, in remembering your sacrifice, it's so small. But Lord, it is such a testimony to us of how powerful your work is, of how powerful your sacrifice, your resurrection, your person is for us. And so we gladly take our part 
and celebrating it. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.